Oh, there it is. Hey, if you haven't picked one up yet, uh, good morning, Moses. If you haven't picked one up, uh, handouts are in the back. Anybody need one? We can run, have some run. Everybody have one? Perfect. We'll start here in two minutes, right on schedule. All right, let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, let me pray for us, and we'll just jump right into our uh, subject this morning. Father, uh, your mercies and kindness are constantly on display before us and through us, Lord, and in us. And we worship you and praise you for that, Father, as we look to you um, and, and your heart of a servant and uh, the way you have set things up for us to serve. Father, you prepared good works in advance. We, we praise you for that as well. We pray this morning that you'd open our eyes, that your word would... Uh, be clear to us. God, we know we need your uh, spirit to illuminate the text to us and help us to, to understand and to apply. And pray, Father, this would be a fruitful time in your word. And we give you praise even for this church and pray your blessing on the overall ministry here in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, the last of our one another classes. So we can have a collective sigh. But have no fear. We have more classes coming. I hope this has been a real uh, profitable time for you. I hope it's been challenging as it has been for me. You know, this is one of those classes that sort of get in our business a little bit. They, they get in our schedule. They get in our priorities. They sort of affect the way we think about most areas of our life because it's in, intensely practical and, and clear. So as we think about this morning, we're going to think about serving, being a servant, serving one another we recognize that we could probably have a five-minute conversation and understand the concept of what it means to serve. And you probably come in here with a pretty good idea of what it means to serve one another. But hopefully this morning we'll, uh, we'll get an under understanding of why we're to serve and how Christ really set that example for us. So before I start, I want to point out a resource. Actually, Catherine Brill sitting over there. She gave this to me on Friday. Um, I don't know if this is available online, but this is an interesting concept. It's a basically... Several one another's from Scripture put on a 30-day calendar. So every day you can sort of look at a calendar and pray these into your life. Accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another in different, uh, different ways. So just as you think about this class in ways, this may be a practical thing. Or just take the classes we've had now and put them on the calendar for a week. And just challenge yourself to really be uh, focused on a specific one another. So... Um, well, we're going to talk about serving one another. Um, and like I said, it, it wraps up our series. And I think about serving, and, and in your handout, you'll see um, our introduction here. So I just want to point you to that. Um, Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not let your freedom, it, uh, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serving. I was thinking about the Cinderella story this week, thinking about Disney, thinking about Jiminy Cricket. How many of you thought about Jiminy Cricket this week? Even know who that is. If you're under 40, you may not even know who Jiminy Cricket is. 
Josh knows who Jiminy Cricket. Go see Josh if you want to know who he is. Um, think about the Cinderella story. You have a girl who's serving. She's serving in a, in a hard situation, serving her stepmother. And at the end of the story, we see her elevated to greatness, don't we? We love the story. She, she's freed up. The slipper fits. She goes, and she's now the princess, eventually the queen of the whole kingdom, the Cinderella story. Imagine if we retold the story and said that Cinderella died as a servant in her stepmother's home, faithfully serving with kindness, with humility, with grace, with character, but never left that home. Or the, the shoe fit so she was ushered to the palace to become a servant for the king or the prince for the rest of her life. That doesn't really have that same appeal, does it? It doesn't have the same draw for us. We, we see somehow that her role as a servant um, needed to be changed, that we want to be like her and be the princess or the prince or the king or in the castle. You see, being subservient isn't exactly a part of the American dream. We don't grow up dreaming to be a servant. When we follow our dreams, that doesn't lead us into thoughts of servanthood. More like we're on the beach and someone serving us. But we see in Mark 9, actually, Jesus gives us a great, quote-unquote, redefinition or redefines what it means to be great. Now, with the political climate, the first thought that came to my mind, a title for this section was making Christians great again. But I decided to uh, forego that one. Right. There is a, a calling for us to be great, but not in the same calling, not in the same manner, in the same nature that this Western society or our flesh in general wants us to be great. And the disciples begin to, to, to debate about this as they're on the road to Capernaum behind Jesus. And we'll look at it, Mark 9, 33 through 35. It says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus, hey, guys, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, no doubt embarrassed by their conversation. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, I can imagine that argument wasn't, no, you're greater than me. No, 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 you're, no, really, you're greater than I am. No, 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 he's the greatest. No, the argument was, here's how my, I can justify myself as the greatest of Jesus' followers. For on, that's what they had, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You see, Jesus tells us that being great in his kingdom requires a person to be a servant. And we know this is Christ himself, the chief servant, the greatest of all who served all. And they will see that play out, obviously, in the months and years to come in their ministry with him. We recognize this to be a major contrast to the world. You see, for us as believers, we have to recognize that success isn't being surrounded by servants, but success is being that servant to serve in humility. Jesus redefines what his followers should see as greatness. So where are we going to go this morning? I want us to look at the work, the way, and the workmanship of Jesus himself for a few minutes. And then we're going to look at the work and the way of his followers. Okay, so the work, the way, and the workmanship of Jesus is our example. Then the work and the way of his followers. Okay. So let's look at the work of Jesus. If you look at your outline, I've given you several passages of Scripture for each of these sections. A great opportunity for you to take this home and even this week, read some of those and reflect. All right, the work of Jesus. Work of Jesus. Jesus was given a task assigned from the Father. Jesus' mission was to serve the Father by serving us. And he plays that out. We see that lived out. In John 6, Jesus gets asked an interesting question. Verse, uh, or he tells us in verse 38 and 40 what that will, what the task was for the Father. He says, I have come down from heaven 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So a primary mission of Jesus, the primary mission was to obey the Father, to do the will of the one who sent him. And in verse 40, he tells us what it is. He said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father that Jesus was to, to fulfill, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life? Jesus is coming with a task, a purpose. He's serving with intentionality, and that was to provide eternal life to those to whom the Father would call. This task required him to be a faithful servant. What does that task look like? Well, there's a task of salvation to the individual. First of all, he was called as a ransom to serve people. A ransom to serve people. To save people, excuse me. Mark 10, 45, he says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus said, even I, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. John 6, 51, he tells us he's the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, the, for the life of the world is my flesh. So what is that service look like? It looks like laying down his life as the bread of life, giving his life to the world for salvation. It, his, his sacrificial service on display. This was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquities. Here we see Jesus himself being called my servant by the Father. And it was out of his anguish that he would be satisfied, out of his toil, out of his sacrificial service that he would be satisfied obeying the Father. And even yet for us, this anguish, this service of Christ, this suffering brings us a light burden. He tells us in Matthew 11 that we're to come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden, that he would give us rest. Give us rest. You think about the role of a servant. Part of the role of a servant is to, to bear the burdens of their master, isn't it? If you imagine, you know, Ed is sitting here, let's say he's walking out with stacks and stacks of books, and someone walks up to him and says, here, let me carry that for you. Let me, let me carry that. A burden. You see how we've lightened that burden. We've given them um, a lighter yoke. And Jesus in serving us has done that. Obviously the, oak, the yoke that we had upon us was our own sin. We had no ability to depart from. We were shackled and slaved to Satan himself. Dead in our trespasses. And Jesus in his service, his sacrificial service, takes that from us and chains him to himself. Makes us a slave to righteousness. He, he, Jesus in his service. So Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He came to serve sacrificially, laying his life down. And he came as the servant of God himself. So his mission, his service was for us, but also he has a service for the church that he serves. He, he sets himself as the servant for the church Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, he's speaking to husbands, but listen how Christ serves us in this passage. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he may present her to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she may be holy and without blemish. So Christ, the servant, served sacrificially for us, the individually, as a mission, the will of God to ransom many to the kingdom. But he also serves the church. He, he gave himself up for this purpose. He, he died on the cross to establish 
the church, that he might sanctify the church, that he may cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word of God, that he might present her in splendor as a radiant bride. Jesus, the servant, accomplished that. Quick pause. We looked at the, the work of Jesus. Any questions, any thoughts before we move on? All right. Let's talk about the way of Jesus. This is the work of Jesus, the servant. Let's talk about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. We'll look at first at Jesus' nature and then his actions. Now, we need to keep in mind when we think about Jesus, we look at Jesus as a servant serving us as he calls us to serve one another. We can't forget where he came from. Jesus deserves to be exalted for all eternity, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, all of creation bowing down to Christ himself. Anything short of that is Jesus humbling himself, is him serving in a role below his stature in in his position in the heavens. Does that make sense? So when we see Jesus condescending to earth, when we see him becoming a man and taking on the form of a servant, we see Jesus in all of his actions. We recognize that what he deserves is to be glorified on high for all eternity. That models to us what it means to be a servant. Sometimes we think servants serving may be below us or certain types of serving may be below us. Certain positions of serving, certain rank and order, certain postures are sort of below us or below our spiritual nature, below our theological proudness or below our, you know, um, our status in life or the years in the church or our intelligence level. But look at Jesus who took that journey. He left this to become a servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." We're told to have the same mindset that Christ fully exalted, fully God, humbled himself. It says that he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He never ceased to be God. However, he didn't use his um, equality with God for self-exaltation, but instead he took on the form of a servant. In other words, he chose not to put himself fully on display and cause the world to bow down instantly to him, but he put put on the form, put on the form of a servant. He didn't use his godness to force man to exalt him, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. Imagine the humble estate from where he came. One thing I think that's interesting is that being a servant isn't contrary to the nature of the son. You know, we could say that, well, he was this way and he became a servant. No, we recognize that if you look at the the Greek in this passage, the idea is precisely because he was a servant, he emptied himself. You see, precisely because of who he is, he came as a servant. See, we like to think, well, Jesus wasn't a servant And then, wow, what a great thing. Jesus just decided to flip a switch and said, I'm going to be a servant for a little while and I'm going to go serve. No, because he's a servant, Christ did this. He emptied himself and became obedient to the cross. We're going to see this in just a minute in Isaiah 42 that that we know this to be the case. Luke uh, 22 is a parallel passage to the Mark 9 passage earlier about the disciples arguing. Listen to this. 
um, Jesus says here, um, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. He looks at the disciples and he says in Luke twenty two twenty six, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Isn't it the one who reclines at the table? Of course it is. And here's the punchline Jesus says to him about his own nature, but I am among you as one who serves. You see, we look and say, well, the one at the head of the table, the reclining one, that's the most important. That's the greatest, right? And they're thinking, yeah, of course. He's like, no, but why am I here serving if the greatest is the one who reclines? So this is the nature of Jesus. Let's look a little bit at Jesus in action. What does this look like played out for him to serve? What does servanthood look like? Matthew, this is all over the New Testament, um, lots and lots of examples. I just chose Matthew 12. Um, the beginning of Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man from a withered hand on the Sabbath, really angers uh, the religious establishment. Um, it says in verse 15, chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. He was in danger. And many followed him, and it says he healed them all. So Jesus does a, a work as a servant. He serves a man by healing his hand. Danger comes. He retreats. The whole crowd follows him. Obviously, it's going to be easy for the, the Pharisees to track him down. And yet, he didn't think of himself. He healed them all, it says. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now, this comes from Isaiah 42. Behold, Isaiah says, from God, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is a prophecy of Christ where God the Father says, my servant, my beloved. In other words, he calls his son his beloved servant. You see, being a servant wasn't something just Jesus decided to do and then by extension says we should try it. Jesus was called, even in Isaiah, the beloved servant of the Father, equal to God, but a servant. God says, I'll put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Salvation is what he will, will proclaim. And look at the way of Jesus. He goes on in Isaiah, he says, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Does that sound like us in action? A beloved servant proclaiming justice, proclaiming salvation to the world, not quarreling, not crying aloud, not bruising, breaking people that are bruised, not putting out smoldering wicks. That's the work of Christ. Let me ask you, what are some other examples that you see of Christ in action as a servant? You can just call them out. We don't have very many on Zoom, so this is us. What are some other? Some will be really obvious. Washing feet, good. What else? Okay, feeding people. Very good. Somebody else, a couple more. Healing, good. Josh, did you have one? You were just giving your mom the thumbs up. Anybody else? Wes, give me one. Okay, good. Somebody else. He raised the dead. Praying, good. Very good. The, we could continue all morning talking about example after example of Jesus serving. Jesus himself, humbling himself as a servant. These are his works. What about the workmanship of Jesus? This is a, this is a short one. What, is, what about the workmanship of Jesus? Ephesians 2.10 tells us very clearly 
for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. So he's working and we are his workmanship. We're being made into something. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the work that Christ is doing is focused upon us being more like him. In, we are that workmanship for good works that God prepared in advance so we'll do them. You see how servanthood is all over that. We cannot do the works of God if we're not willing to be a servant, if we're not willing to serve one another. We're created in Christ. We see this in Colossians 1 and John 1 and Hebrews 1, that Jesus himself, the creator agent, created the world, and he's created us, and he's producing in us a workmanship that, puts, that makes us do good works, that sets us up, prepares us for good works, that we should do them. Not think about them, not talk about them, not understand them more simply, but to do them, to live these works out, which will require us to serve one another. God's sovereign plan was to recreate us in salvation into the image of Christ so that we would serve him now and serve him forevermore and all his works are for his glory and our good. Do you recognize that when we serve one another where it's for God's ultimate glory and it is for our good? It is for your best interest to wrap a towel around your waist and wash somebody's feet more than it's in your best interest for you to sit there and be served. And that actually puts God on display. Questions before we move on? So if that's Jesus' work, we understand Jesus' nature and the way he works, that we are his workmanship, that's our, our hinge to switch to now what is the work of, our, of his followers? What is the work of Jesus' followers? Following Christ, I'll submit, is serving. Following Christ is serving. Think about, if you, if you think especially in the Old Testament, continuously the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were called to serve the Lord. They were called to serve the Lord. Okay? Serve him. It means we actually do his work, his way, for his purposes. Joshua 24, 14 through 15, as Joshua's ending the end of his life, he's, he's looking up among the masses and he, says, he tells them this. He says, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fa- that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of you, that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites in the, whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. He says, look, don't, don't choose who you will acknowledge. Don't choose who you like the most. Don't choose how God ranks in your priority list. Choose whom you will work for. Me and my house, we're going to work for the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to put a towel around our waist in service of the Lord. We're going to be servants. We're going to be great because we're serving this one, the Lord. We all will serve a master. We're called to work. We were actually called to work before the fall. Adam and Eve were given a charge. Be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. When the fall happened, God didn't erase that call. He just made it really difficult. It just means there's going to be suffering as we be fruitful and multiply in childbirth. There's going to be suffering as we subdue and manage this world and do his will. Serving the Lord was the intention from the beginning. Remember in Ephesians 2, 10, we were created for good works. This necessitates that we serve other people. It necessitates that we serve other 
people, it's impossible to serve ourselves and still be considered a servant. It's impossible for us to serve our own self-interest and still be considered a servant. It goes against the definition of a servant. And actually doing the works are better than understanding them or saying we'll do them. You remember, Jesus tells a parable of two sons, and a father gives them clear instructions. And one son says, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, Dad, I'm in. I'll do that. And goes off and doesn't do the work. The second one says, no, I will not do it, walks off and makes, changes his mind and does the work. Which one obeyed the father? The second son. Obeying the father, serving, doing the work is obedience. So what is our work? Well, interestingly, Jesus was asked that question and gave an interesting answer in John chapter 6. This is the, the crowd said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Isn't that our question? What should we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. You see, the first work, of, the first work was God's work on our behalf, not our work on his behalf. What do we need to do to do all that God requires to believe in Christ and follow him? See, Jesus intentionally wasn't going to give them a list. He wasn't going to give them a task, a punch list, a, a, a bunch of rules to follow. This is the work. Believe in him who he has sent. Believe in Christ. The first work was God's work on our behalf. And really working for the Lord then is living that out. In light of the gospel, living out this life. The Westminster Catechism defines the chief end of man this way. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that's our chief end. Your primary end of this world is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If we believe that, then we are to serve our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our co-workers, and those around us in order to encourage them to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Christ must always be our aim Whatever we do, we do to that end. We do to put Jesus himself on display to the unbeliever and to the believer. We don't work for ourselves. We don't work and serve to the end of putting ourselves on display. But whatever we do, we do it to put Christ on display in, or, in order that more will glorify him and enjoy him forever. Well... Fulfilling, following Christ is serving, but also freedom in Christ is a freedom to serve. That may be a point you might not have expected to see there. Freedom in Christ is freedom to serve. Galatians 5 talks about our freedom that we have from the law of Moses, and it was for the purpose of serving. Galatians 5, verse 1, and then 13 and 14. Verse 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we, we've been set free. We don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. But what are we set free for? Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, we were set free in salvation, not so that we could use our freedom on ourselves, but so that we, through love, would serve one another. Freedom in Christ is a freedom to serve. Our eyes have been opened. Our ears are, are unclogged. We can hear and we can see the needs around us. We can understand how to serve one another, and we should act upon that. Our flesh doesn't want it. Our eyes are blind to the need around us, except God in his mercy changed that. He gives us the understanding of where service can happen. And it says through love we are called not to be in the flesh, but to serve. He goes on and says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. It's interesting here, he ties love with serving and contrasts both of them with consuming one another. 
ties love and serving together and contrasts both of them with consuming. You see, being a consumer is the opposite of being a servant. And it begs the question for all of us, would we consider ourselves a consumer or a servant? If we created a sliding scale, maybe all the way to my left would be a servant and all the way to my right would be a consumer and you had to drop yourself somewhere on that line, where would you, where would you be? Where would your children be? Consumer is the opposite of being a servant. Another point, it's not on your notes, but you may want to write it in, that faithful servants aren't always popular. And this was good for me to hear, just to challenge myself against fear of man. Faithful servants aren't always popular. Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, being popular isn't the end goal of serving one another, is it? Sometimes we serve one another because we have to say the truth in love. Sometimes we serve one another because we keep one another from falling into sin or traps. Sometimes we serve one another because we speak honestly, truthfully with one another. Those of you that are parents know that, that well, right? How many times do you do what you know is best for your child only to be criticized or to, to see their resistance? We don't understand. Limited perspective, immaturity. So faithful servants aren't always popular. All right, another pause. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So that was the work of Jesus' followers. Let's look at the way of Jesus' followers. You've probably figured this already, that his work and his way should be reflected in our work and our way, right? The way of Jesus' followers. Serving Jesus means serving others. The first point is we should serve in the manner of Jesus. We should serve in the manner of Jesus. Philippians 2 again, 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also into the interests of others. It doesn't say that we're never supposed to look at our own interests. It said just don't only look at that. We should look at the interests of others. And when we look at the interests of others and our own interests, we should consider others more significant than ourselves. In other words, if we're sitting at the table together, we're the one that needs to put the towel around our waist and not expect others to do that for, for us. We do that with humility, with humility. See, this is the manner in which Jesus served. Ultimately, the manner in which he served the gospel, right? That Jesus himself came from heaven to earth, took on the form of a servant, the form of a man, laying his life down as a ransom for many, redeeming, rescuing those who, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's the manner in which he served. And we too are to be about this same work. We're supposed to be about the same work of ransoming people for the glory of God. And our work and our serving to one another puts that on display. We see in John 13, we, we have this famous passage where um, Jesus says, look, the people are going to know you're my disciples because you love one another. Well, they're not overhearing them talk about how they love one another. They're fighting about who's the greatest. No, they're seeing that work on display. They're watching the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, laying their life down for one another. We see that throughout church history. We see accounts of Roman historians saying that these people, what do we do with these people? How do we stop this, this sect? They, they serve the sick. They, they go into places where there's leprosy and they serve people even at the cost of their own life. How do you stop a people like that? How do you deny the truth of people like that? Peter tells us that, that people are to see our good deeds and then they'll glorify God, right? We do our good deeds. First Peter 2.12 on that one. 
So we too are be about the work of raising people, and it puts God's gospel on display. You see, there are two things, this helps me, but there are two things from this world that transcend to the next world. The word of God and the souls of men. Okay, the, the word of God's eternal, the souls of men eternal. So shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us that our ultimate mission is to take the word of God to the souls of men? That as we serve, that is our end goal. That is our their aim, but it takes us sacrificing. It takes us serving. It takes us laying down our lives. It takes us seeing their need for salvation is more important than our need for whatever is on our bucket list. We serve in the manner of Jesus. We serve with the gospel in mind. We, we lighten burdens as Jesus did. We show kindness like the kindness of God that led us to repentance by the way, that's a great evangelism um, sort of strategy. Just be kind. To serve people in kindness in ways they can't explain. Sincerely, with humility. Not, not as a ruse. But Mark 9 says he's the servant of all. We've looked at that. And for the church, we're to serve in the same manner. What did he do? He sanctified her through prayer. and He cleansed her, presented her. We're to do the same. We're, we're to sanctify the church, one another through, through prayer and through submission, through encouragement. We're to cleanse one another by the submission of God's word. Do you realize one of the greatest acts of servanthood that we receive is our people who prepare and teach the scriptures to us? We present her always before ourselves and others as the radiant bride of Christ, as Jesus does the church. Jesus sanctifies her. What's our responsibility in making sure the church continues to be sanctified, that we push one another, we, we help each other towards love and good deeds. He cleanses the church through the washing of the water of the word. Let's make sure as a church the word is paramount. Hold to the, the authority and the sufficiency of scripture. Honor those who teach Encourage one another with the word as we pray the word, sing the word, preach the word, read the word. And then we present the church to one another and to the world as a radiant bride of Christ. I recognize the church is not perfect, but we should speak about her as one would speak about a revered queen. When we speak about the church, we should speak about the church as the bride of Jesus himself, the, the honored queen of heaven. We serve in that same manner. And as we just read, we don't do it with selfish ambition or conceit. We serve in the manner, but we also serve in the posture of Jesus, the posture of Jesus. You see, servants enter the throne room with a certain posture. We serve the Lord, the King of kings, the Lord of lords with a particular posture. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk into the throne room you know, we, we don't have a lot of uh, respect for authority anymore in Western society. Um, I remember being in a, a hotel in Texas one time, and there were a car pulls up, and there were two men, clearly uh, maybe like Catholic bishops of some sort, and they were helping an elderly man out of a car who was obviously more higher ranking in the Catholic church than they were. Um, the man was hunched over and he was hardly able to walk, but they, they revered this man. They treated him like a beloved father. And I found myself just drawn to respect him. Now, certainly we have a lot of differences with Catholic teaching, but I found myself thinking, wow, this is what it looks like to revere someone who is honored. And then two men came out of the um, hotel, you know, just sort of bouncing around. They're like, what's up, old man? You know, and it just crushed me to think about that's who we've, become. You wouldn't walk in. If you, if you walked into a throne room with that sort of demeanor, you would not walk out. And that's how we should posture ourselves before God as we serve him, before Jesus as we serve him, recognizing to whom we are serving. You know, these, uh, at one point uh, people were wearing these t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. Please throw that one in the trash if you own that one. Jesus is not your homeboy. His name doesn't deserve to be on a yo-yo in a toy store. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. 
We don't serve him out of convenience. We don't serve him because we have nothing better to do. We don't serve him because we've sort of surveyed and said, well, today's a good day to serve Jesus. We don't serve him because it's on our list for an hour in the morning. We serve him with the right posture, the right demeanor, in the manner that he lays out for us. Psalm 2 to 11 says, serve the Lord with fear. Psalm 72 11, all nations will serve with reverence. Psalm 100 verse 2, serve him with gladness. It's not a somber act that we do. He's redeemed us to serve him. It should bring joy. Colossians 3 and 1 Corinthians 10 both tell us to do everything as we're unto the Lord, to serve as unto the Lord. Our posture and our manner. Questions? Anything on just the work? the way, the workmanship of Christ, or the work, or the manner, or the way of his followers? Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. How about you and I chat about that? So I work for a ministry called Light Bears, and Josh and I have gotten to serve a lot together on family mission trips. So we've had years of, years of service. And that's serving, isn't it, Josh? When we go up there, we don't, we don't go with the mindset that, you know, we're here on vacation. You know, it's a, it's a lot of work, uh, and we go to serve. And we talk about these past, some of these passages ahead of time for those of you that have been on that trip. Well, the application, it's almost um, impossible to just start talking through too many or enough practicals. You know, the reality is, you are surrounded by one another's. We know how we should serve most of the time. It's really the attitude and the commitment to do it more than it is um, to see the need. But I will say that a great way to start practically is ask the Lord to show you where it is that he wants you to serve. See, giving you that eyes, those eyes to see, that understanding of where the needs are. And I'm going to give us a couple of contexts. And then we can open up for some more. The first one is the family, okay? What we can't miss in all of the conversations about serving one another is that we have a primary mission within our own home. That we're called, those, of, those who are married, those who have children, have a unique opportunity to serve. And let me submit, it's a lot harder to wash your own dishes than to put, wash someone else's dishes sometimes. It's a lot harder to keep the weeds out of your own flower beds. It is to keep your weeds out of someone else's flower beds, right? Serving at home. Jesus gives that example, and he tells us in Ephesians 5 the roles and how they're to serve. Husbands, lay down your life in love. Serve your wife. Wives, serve your husbands with respect. Children, honor and obey your parents. Parents, raise your children in the feared admonition of the Lord, don't exasperate them. Serving at home is actually a requirement for elders. One of the main things you look for in an elder is someone who's already serving at home. If they can't get that priority right, they shouldn't take on more responsibility. If they don't have the ability to shepherd and, and teach within their own home and help people understand the scriptures, then how can they do that for someone else's spouses and children? You see? It's a requirement to serve in our home and serve well. 1 Timothy 5, 4 through 8 says, Paul gives this instruction to Timothy about the church. He said, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness in their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a pretty strong word. So one perfect application context is to serve within your own family. Start there. Ask the Lord, show me, Lord, how I can serve my spouse. Show me, Lord, how I can serve my children as I raise them to, for a purpose. Children, how can I serve my siblings? Shocking. Shocking, but that's a thing. It really is. How can I do their laundry instead of complaining about it? How can I help them? 
How can I use what God's given me in the position I have, whether I have a car or whether I have, you know, um, a certain skill or talent or whatever, to serve them so that they themselves will see Christ's love through me. That I can model Christ the servant. So serve, that's one context for you to start with. What's the, what role do I have in the home and am I serving well? In that role, am I doing things with selfish ambition and vain conceit? Or in humility, am I considering others better than myself? Are the people in my life that I know the most and where they stand before God, are they the ones that live within the same address as me? You see, serve, serve there. Secondly, in context is to serve your spiritual family. Galatians 6.10 says, do good to all, especially those that are in the faith. So we do prioritize one another. We do look and say those that I covenant together in Christian fellowship in this church actually are more important than people that I don't covenant for in, the, in, my, in my service. Serving in my home and then with that serving this body. Serving one another. Do good to all but especially those who are in the faith. First Peter tells, in 1 Peter 4, Peter tells us this. He tells us that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, Peter says, now again, it, the end is coming. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, we know the source of that gift to be God himself. These are the works he's prepared in advance for us to do from Ephesians, right? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. If you have a gift, use it to serve one another. Why did God give you the gift of teaching? It's to serve. Why did God give you the gift of helps? It's to serve one another. Why did he give you any of the gifts that you have? It's to serve one another. The gifts are not to put us on display. They're not to exalt ourselves. As Christ himself emptied himself to become a servant, a servant of all, we do the same. Sometimes we think the gifts that we've given us are because we're a certain way, like we've earned them in some way. But that's, not, that's not true. If by this, this teaching, God uses it for any ounce of his own glory, that's just because God's good. God does that for his own. If God uses you or I in any way, we have a certain talent or a gift, it's because God is prepared to work for us to use that in advance that requires us to put a towel on, get on our knees, humble ourselves at the foot of the table and serve. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Serving is tiring. God gives us these gifts. He gives us the opportunities to work. And the scripture just told us he supplies the strength that we need to go on. I'll submit to you when we go, say, on these family mission trips and we really serve hard for a week, day and night, little sleep, we are more energized by the end of the week than when we came. We always come exhausted from, you know, just daily life and we leave energized because our opportunity we had just to serve over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you have that same experience in your own life. That when we serve other people, God gives us the strength to go on. When we serve ourselves, we get in a funk, we get introspective, we go on the downward spiral, we watch things, do things, absorb things, we're consumers of things, we have no business being around. We break that by serving other people, considering their needs as more important than ourselves. Not self-justifying self, not pining in ourselves, not complaining in ourselves, not consuming all of these thoughts that we have about ourselves, but we serve one another in love. And God, he says, gives strength to that person. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the ultimate end of serving, the glory of Christ himself. So two contexts, practically one in the home, one in your spiritual family, certainly plenty of opportunity in the world. And my last just challenge is really simple and that's to serve your socks off serve your socks off just as Jesus had to sort of unclothe the feet of those he was serving 
Let's do the same for one another. Let's serve our socks off for one another. Um, Let's serve the needed hand, not simply where we fit. Let's serve with people who are willing and not hold out for our people. Serve with those who are willing. Let's serve without someone having to set up something official and inviting us to it. You know, we have our sister, Sherry Watson, who's been through a hard physical battle and was just love the fact that some ladies just without it being a, a church invite, just gathered around her, just prayed over her. We lost our home a couple of years ago to a fire. Many of you just served. No one had to set up anything. No one, no church didn't have an official work day. You just began to come. I remember right after uh, Brad and Aaron moved here, um, one of their children, to be unnamed, stuck a car through their privacy fence. Um, And within two days, I think, it was fixed. People heard, they saw the need, they served. Serve without it having to be something organized and official. Let's serve when no one's watching and tell no one when we're finished. Let's serve people who can't reciprocate. Let's serve where it benefits others more than us. I have a final passage, but I'll pause here for any final questions or anything. Yes, sir. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Did you guys, could you guys hear that well? David, not necessarily. So David made the point that, um, you know, we could conjure up some courage to go serve. We can sort of make ourselves get out, maybe keep reminders, kind of stir for a season. But for this to be longstanding, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit who changes and renovates you from the inside out. So that would sort of mandate again that we're asking him to do that. Certainly the only way we can do that is if we've been freed from the power of sin because that's where our flesh is constantly on ourselves, right? So those who know Christ have been empowered, as I said earlier, we've been set free so that we would serve, but also then we fall back into old habits. We fall back into just fleshly tendencies. And so just to continue to pray, the Lord would give us the eyes to see the needs around us. And then James says, anybody who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't, sins. Once we see it, we're accountable to do something about it. It's good. Other thoughts? That's good, David. Thank you. Nothing else. Let me uh, let me close this out with Romans twelve nine through twenty one. I'm sorry, I'm not going to read all that. 9 through 13 is all I'll read. It's, I think it may be in your notes. I don't remember if I put that scripture there. But um, if not, it'd be a good one to write down. Romans 12, 9. Um, yeah, it's in there through 21. Um, it, uh, I'm just going to read, you know, the first four verses. But I think this is a good uh, summary passage of our time together in the one another's. Um, and so you, I think you'll, you'll see. Romans 12, 9. Says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It'd be a great passage for you to put on your mirror and say, well, how do I, how do I live that? Am I rejoicing in hope? Am I being patient in tribulation? I can promise you if you're not, you're not doing the one on others. If you're not rejoicing in hope, if you're not patient in your tribulations, then you're not, being, you're not serving. He says to outdo one another in showing honor. There's actually a righteous competition that's okay. It's actually okay to, to strive, to continue to outdo one another in serving one another. You know, it, it's fun, on, again, on these family mission trips, or sometimes we get our younger boys sort of jazzed to serve. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you better open the door for your mama. And they're kind of bumping each other out of the way, trying to knock each other out to see who can open the door. You know, for my, That's actually a good thing. That's a climate we would like to see around here. If we were outdoing one another in showing honor, if, if when someone preached, they had so many emails about how encouraging that message were, they couldn't read them all. That would be a good problem for a pastor to have, wouldn't it? It'd be a good problem for, for someone who's keeping your children to have to stand there for an extra 15 minutes as people are like, praise, just praise God on your behalf. Like you, thank you for serving. You know, it'd be a good problem if we continue to serve. If, if we have a need, we have to say, hey, guys, 30 is enough. You know what I mean? Like, we, we got enough people. But here's another need and another need. That would be a, a culture. That would be a, a kingdom we would want to be a part of. And we are. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, don't be lazy. See, that wars against our desire to serve. Don't be slothful in your zeal. Don't let the fire burn low. He says, but be fervent. That means fireful or passionate. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Practicing the one another's takes intentionality, and God is most honored when we serve in the work and way of Jesus. I'll say that again. Practicing one another's takes intentionality, and God is most honored when we serve in the work and the way of Jesus, humbly considering others more important than ourselves. All right. Appreciate you guys. Um, I'll be here if you have any questions. Um, new